tonight on The Toxic Infatuation. We all knew to keep our mouths shut after what we saw under that body, except me. Happy Halloween. Here's a story of love to start your day. Our dorm used to house a retired couple. The husband, he was believed to be named Gordon, suffered from a mental disease, but the wife insisted on caring for them and him at their home. She insisted on this because the man was still sane, and she felt that he was not yet ready to be an inpatient at those unclean sanitariums. There isn't evidence of if she found the irony in the word sanitarium, but her house was spotless. And the effects of Gordon's disease first started to come a year later in small ways. He would organize piles of coins on the windowsill and counters. He would stack them according to size. A nickel on top of a quarter, on top of a penny, on top of a dime, until the coins in the house were piled all around. Then the effects worsened. Gordon would throw around dish soap and scrub the floor until his hands started bleeding, trying to please his wife by cleaning in the only way his mental state allowed him to. Near the end of his life, a home care professional came to assess him for inpatient care. It was at this meeting that he didn't look at those employees of the facility or at his wife, but to the side of the bedroom where the employees reported seeing the slight glimmer of an axe blade. That was the last time anyone saw Gordon, but his wife continued to live at the pristine residence for many more years. She then sold the deed of the house to this university. The place didn't even need a cleaning before the students moved in. She thought of everything. Changing the upholstery on the furniture, Replacing the mirrors in the bedroom, she sold the deed of the house a mere two days before she passed away. That house is this dormitory that we live in, and it smells of bleach and cleaning product. The legend is that if the custodians take care to make this building spotless, they do it for fear that Gordon and his wife would come back to their house to claim their property and clean up one last time. And now, you've just completed the pledge to Phi Alpha Alpha. <laughs> Come on in. We have beer in the kitchen, wine in the dining room. Uh, hold up, my friend. Guys have to pay $5 to get in. Sorry. If a woman ghost haunts this house, then bringing guys in pays extra. Come on, pay up. Good man, let's go. Welcome to the Toxic Infatuation. Tonight, one single story of a love gone dead and wrong and the converted fraternity who dealt with the aftermath. And now, the next morning at the fraternity house. <sighs> Cups are all over the floor as we pick up what remains. There are people passed out on the couches and the beds and the floor is sticky and wet. It no longer smells like bleach and cleaning product, but now like beer, liquor. One of our pledges is lying face down in a pool of what looks like red wine. I pick some of the guys over to pick him up. 
Uh, I put him on the couch. His body feels heavy and cold. We lift him up and plop him onto the couch behind us and turn him up onto his side. And that's when we all see it. A large gash on his face, dried up with blood. We all looked at each other. He was dead. And one of the members told the campus police the fraternity was closed and everyone was sent to live off campus. Everyone but me. And that's what worries me most. How we all knew what to do when we saw that body. We all knew to live as far away from the scene as possible, except me. We all knew to keep our mouths shut after what we saw under that body, except me. Because as we picked up our dead pledge from the floor, we saw a pool of dish soap underneath him, clumped as if thrown randomly with bloody handprints on them, almost as if someone had been cleaning directly under when the body was found. The autopsy said he tripped. We never said anything about that night or the coincidence that was under the body, because that's all it really was, a coincidence. That's what I thought for months, even after I found the first pile of coins on my windowsill. They were stacked with a nickel on top of a quarter, on top of a penny, on top of a dime. Carefully placed, just one stack. And I decided that this this wasn't worth freaking out about. People sometimes do weird things to alleviate stress after an effect like the one that I was involved with. I probably did it in my sleep. And I decided to take no action. I woke up and I immediately understood that these piles were not my doing. They were everywhere. On the windowsills and counters of every room. I woke up another night to find 29 piles circling the bed where I slept, with two piles balanced on the bedpost itself and a pile at my feet when I stepped out of bed, which shot a pain through my legs as I pressed down on it. And I never told the guys this part, but I found one pile balanced on my upper arms another pile where my arm creased. I didn't want to think about how these could have gotten there. I couldn't. I didn't see or hear anything. I knew now that I had to text the other guys. Okay, Siri. Text the Phi Alpha Alpha group chat. Is someone playing a prank on us, guys? I have some weird stuff happening back at the house. Send. What? Do you mean the pile of coins? What? Yeah, man. They're all over our house. I just called the other guys. It's not even our money. Yeah, we looked into it. The coins are from the same year, too. We are going to the university police, but they know about the frat body and they won't take our call seriously. Oh my god. Uh, okay, Siri. New message to the Phi Alpha Alpha group chat. Dude, guys, are you okay? Send crap. Oh, fuck. Of course it crashes right now. Thank you, iPhone. You're useless. 
Oh, oh, now you decide to work. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> what? She will kill you. thought hard about the stories I was told when I pledged. Could they be true? There are too many coincidences for me not to at least consider that a possibility. I went through my head all the crap I would relay to freshmen in detail. What if it all was true? How could I find out? I thought back to the story about how the employees saw an axe in the bedroom of Gordon. That's where I slept. But if I saw an axe point, I would know by now. What if the wife hid it? Where would she hide an axe? I thought back, as the moon was coming out over the horizon. In her last years, the wife took extra precautions to make the place spotless. She redid the upholstery. She replaced the sinks and mirrors. Maybe the mess we made in here offended her, her spirit, and this was her revenge. I looked at what remained of the historic house, and I eyed an old rotary phone, a love seat, a few couch cushions, a remnant of the frat. The fact that it was called a love seat was usually flirty enough that it was usually occupied by a couple at a party. The cloth looked new, knew enough that it could have been redone by the wife herself. On a whim, I ripped the seat, letting the old leather crack beneath my hands. It didn't take long until I saw it. A glimmering pointed axe with a rusty handle. Everything came to a point. The story must be true. And that means I need this axe as a way to stay alive. I picked the axe up and examined it. It wasn't long before the axe propelled out of my hand. I thought that the weight of this metal axe would throw me off balance and that the edge would meet my head. Instead, it flung across the room and landed in the center of a mirror, shattering the mirror and landing the axe on crushed glass beneath it. The room was now shrouded in darkness. As I remembered that the wife had also replaced the mirrors in the house as a last testament to her obsession with cleanliness. There was a hole in the wall that was covered by this mirror. Cheap plywood cracks could be seen blended together with paint, but not well enough that I couldn't trace the divide with my finger. The plywood crumbled with the slightest touch, and I recalled that story again. The axe was true, which means that Gordon saw it as well as the wife. So why was it in the house? Why was I being beckoned toward it? I knew the answer had to be behind this wall, and I punched it slightly to reveal a dark hole beneath. As I chipped away at the old house, the house seemed to want to defend itself too. 
The ceilings cracked and reverberated. The windows screeched and banged. The rotary phone clicked. I wasn't alone. When the hole had given way to the size of a head, I could vaguely see inside. I saw the formation of a hand, deteriorated fingers and a degloved arm with skin sagging at the wrist and elbow. It was the body of an old man standing upright and fit neatly into this space in the mirror. He had gashes over his stomach, ones that matched the diameter of the axe I held. Right as I understood how Gordon died, I felt the dread in my stomach more powerful than ever. I gripped the axe and turned around to meet the original owner. Thank you for listening to The Toxic Infatuation. This episode was written and produced by me at the WMCX Studios at Monmouth University. If you want some more information on this show, you can visit my personal website, www.romanvisemith.us. That's www.romanvaismith.us. And did you see any loose coins around? I'm looking for some change. Before we leave this episode, I want to include a clip of me being scared by my own voice. So I'm going to play a clip of me recording this podcast, and it's overlaid by a clip of my own voice, and I get very frightened. Here, take a listen. Maybe the mess we made in here offended her spirit, and this was her revenge. This is scene one, take one. (laughs) You can hear me. Drop the headphones. Scene one, take one. It isn't Halloween until you spook yourself. Thanks for listening.